You go ahead and have your seat. You go ahead and have your seat. I'm just trying to figure out what I'm going to do with this 15 minutes that I have. <clears throat> I, I, I just... I just looked at the time, looked at my notes, and said, nope, I'm, I can't come up here with notes. But I, I want to share a word of encouragement from this text that was read into your hearing out of the book of Luke chapter 19. And there is something that, that Jesus says that, that Luke records in this text that you don't find anywhere else in the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. It's interesting because this particular account in the events of, Je in the events of Jesus Jesus' life and ministry, there are many accounts that you would find in Matthew and Mark and in John that aren't necessarily recorded in Luke and vice versa. There are some accounts that you don't find in all four of these Gospels, but this is not one of those times. As Jesus is preparing what is considered to be by most his triumphant entry, this is an event that is recorded in Matthew, in Mark, in, of course, Luke, and also in the Gospel of John. I think by inspiration it's because every single one of these writers would have recognized the value and the importance of this moment in time as you think about Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry. Jesus was going into Jerusalem and he fully appreciates and understands what this moment reflects and what this moment means. If you spend some time reading the Gospel of John, John would have said time and time again at particular moments in Jesus' life and ministry that his time had not yet come. You think about when Jesus is put on the scene and he is put on, on display, at least his mother wants him to go on display when they are in Cana of Galilee and they are in a wedding feast and the wine runs out. And so his mother comes to Jesus and she expects Jesus to do something and he turns to her and says to her, woman, what, I, what would I have you to do or what have I to do with thee? My time has not yet come. You get down into John chapter number 7, both, both in the earlier chapter and the later portion of the chapter. And on two occasions, Jesus is performing miracles, signs, and wonders, and the scribes and the Pharisees who always had a problem with Jesus, I need to note that right here. The scribes and the Pharisees, they, they try to find fault. They try to find occasion to apprehend Jesus. But John would record that they could not, for his time was not yet come. Time and time again, Jesus would heal individuals. And as Jesus would heal individuals, he would require of them, he, he would command them, he would constrain them to not say anything, don't report this thing abroad. <laughs> but I find it hard as I look at these individuals, I find it hard to come into contact with Jesus. I, I find it almost <clears throat> disrespectful to, to be touched by Jesus, to be healed by Jesus, to be made whole by Jesus. I find it almost in comprehensible that when Jesus comes into my life that I find myself staying quiet after that fact. Jesus time and time again he would tell individuals who he gave their sight to. He would tell individuals who he made to walk. He would tell individuals who he made to talk. Jesus would constrain them throughout his ministry to be silent. But oftentimes because of the magnitude of what was done they had to noise this thing. I, I love how the King James puts it. They, they had to noise this thing abroad. 
Church, has there been something that God, that Jesus has done for you in your life? Something that man couldn't do? Something that, 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 that your family or your friends circle? Something that your neighbors couldn't do? Is there something in your life that Jesus would have done that it doesn't, it doesn't matter what people say about you? It doesn't matter how much people might try to constrain you. You just can't hold your peace. God has been too good for me to me for me to remain silent. God has been too good to you for you to remain quiet. And in this moment in Jesus' ministry, Jesus steps into, he's about to step in Jerusalem, and he's going to make the most noise that he possibly could. And so he doesn't, he doesn't come into Jerusalem with, with a funeral procession. Jesus, as he's about to enter into Jerusalem, he has a praise party. Let me repeat that one more time. Jesus, as he's about preparing to go into Jerusalem, this is the beginning of a week that would lead up to him ultimately dying on the cross. He knows he is going into impending danger. He knows he is going into impending death. His life and ministry courts danger. When Jesus came into this earth, he, he recognized that his ministry would come with some hardship. So Jesus wasn't afraid of some danger. But at this point, it's gone past the fear of danger. Jesus understands and appreciates fully well that as he enters into Jerusalem, he's going to usher into not just danger, for he's always courted danger in his life and ministry. And have us to know that in this life that we live in, we always court danger. As much as we put up walls and as much as we have deadbolt doors and as much as we try to secure ourselves, the truth is we do those things because we understand that we are in an environment. We understand that we are in a society that for, for, for all intents and purposes at times it is dangerous. Anybody here has a vehicle and as soon as you go into that car and you don't pull your seat belt, if you drive for about, about 30 seconds, you hear a sound in your car, it's, it's meant to annoy you so that you could put your seat belt on. If you're like me, you, annoy, you, 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 you neglect it for about five minutes. And then you have a wife that says, please put your seat belt on, this is annoying now. But the point is, we, we, we have those seat belts because the individuals who made these vehicles understand that as much as you and I might do our best to drive safe, as much as we would do our best to, to be secure in our journeying from one place to the next, driving could be dangerous. I wish I had some people with me here this morning. And so we have these, 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 these structures, this, this, this seatbelt that is there that is meant to make driving experience that much safer. But every time you get into a vehicle, at least I, I hope you understand, every time you get into this car, every time you get into this plane, we caught a certain level of danger. I'll confess to you, church, that whenever I get into a plane, I, that's when I'm at my holiest. <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you, if ever I were to die in a plane crash, I, I have no doubt in my mind that I've been prayed up. 
I have fasted before I, I entered those seats. I, I, have, I, have, I have laid my gifts at the altar before I step foot on that plane. And from the minute before they even give me the instructions. Listen, I know what the instructions are by now. You take the seatbelt, you turn it in, you tuck it in, and you pull. I, I, know, I know in the event of, of, of if we were to have uh, you, you know, something happen and, 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 and the plane goes all wonky bonkers and this thing comes down, you put it over your mouth and you breathe pretty slowly. I know if, if perhaps the, the plane crashes in water and in the unlikely event that I'm alive and I need to swim I know how to put on my, my life jacket you know what I'm talking about and, and if it is it doesn't blow up enough I pull out the red thing and I blow into it <laughs> but long before they give me those safety instructions long before they, they tell me what I need to know in order to be safe on this plane, I want you to know that I've, I've, already, I've already resolved myself to be in safe in the arms of Jesus. All I'm trying to help us to recognize is that as we live this life, people of God, as we get up on Sunday, as God blesses us to see Monday, as God blesses us to see Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, as, as months pass and as years pass, I need for us to keep in the forefront, not the background, in the forefront of our minds that this life courts a certain level of danger. But Jesus not only recognized that this life, this physical life courts danger, but he recognizes that ministry courts dangers as well but Jesus has gone past the point of just understanding the depth of the danger that he faces but he appreciates that this moment this this entry point this entry moment in the history of not his life only but in the history of man it's a turning point church in the history of mankind he understands that this will be the, the beginning of events that would lead him to the cross of Calvary on the other side of this week is going to be death but I won't face death as if it's the final result on my life <laughs> and he first us to see this he knows that by the end of this week he'll be put into a tomb that was meant for dead people but i won't begin my week i know how the week ends the week ends with death but i begin my week with praise the world might think that death is the final portion and destiny of my life but i know that beyond saturday there is a sunday I know beyond Saturday, beyond death, beyond the grave, there is life thereafter. The grave might have held him for a time, but it couldn't hold him forever. So he knew going in that I was going to suffer and die on the cross. That was just one part in the overall journey and purpose of Jesus Christ. He came to die on the cross, but thank be to God he didn't stay dead. So when I and you sing the song, I serve a risen Savior, he's in the world today. When I and you sing the song, because he lives, I could face tomorrow. Jesus understands what he has to do. Jesus understands what he is going through. And I'll have you to recognize that in this text, his disciples understand what is about to happen as well. 
So as Jesus goes into this week, he goes into this week understanding that there is danger around the bend. As Jesus enters into this week, this Palm Sunday of sorts, he understands that there is death at the end of this, but death is not the end of this. So as he enters into Jerusalem, do you see it now? As he enters into Jerusalem, he doesn't enter with a funeral procession. He enters into Jerusalem with a praise party. I, I don't know if this makes sense, but it certainly wouldn't make sense to people in the world. Yes, on the other side of tomorrow might be painful, but the other side of that tomorrow is also victory. And so Jesus enters into this city. He enters into this time of his life in what is considered to be triumphant, victorious entry. Watch this and we'll be done. As Jesus enters into this moment of triumph, it's meant to indicate a couple things. Number one, Jesus would have fulfilled the prophecies about himself. In other words, John's account would record in about John chapter number 12, it, it would record that the disciples didn't really understand what was going on. They didn't really appreciate what was taking place in the moment. And John records them concluding that it was only after he was glorified. The implication of that, there, there are a couple ways in which we could interpret that statement is only after he was glorified did they understand what he was doing, right? Did, did they appreciate that he was fulfilling the role and the task that the prophets would have spoken concerning him. There, 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 there is an implication that says that, that John is re recording this from the standpoint of they, they only really fully appreciated what would have taken place after Jesus' resurrection. So John is looking back in hindsight almost as he makes this statement that they understood all of this in its totality only after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. But then there is a thought process that says somewhere along this particular event, somewhere within this praise party, the understanding is and the interpretation is maybe they didn't understand it at the beginning of the praise party, but somewhere in the middle, they recognize what the prophets would have said concerning Jesus Christ. And so they quote, many of them quote from, from the prophet Zechariah, Zechariah chapter number 9 and verse number 9, where it talks about this, this king, this deliverer, this Messiah riding into Jerusalem, riding into Zion on a colt as a conqueror would come into this city. And so maybe somewhere along the line, they recognize that Jesus was in fact the fulfillment of the prophecies that was laid upon him. In as much as Jesus would have fulfilled prophecies, it gave them something to look for. But Jesus didn't stay confined to prophecy. Jesus also lived out his purpose. So in the prophecy, it gave them something to look for or forward to. But in his purpose, Jesus gave people something to look up to. Repeat it one more time. When he fulfilled prophecy, it gave them something to look forward to. But as Jesus lived his, his purpose out, it gave them something to look up to. The prophecy said some things about what Jesus 
would be and what Jesus would do. He would be the Messiah that would come into this world and sacrifice himself for all mankind. This Messiah would have certain identifying traits and certain identifying marks. So prophecies gave the individual things to look forward to. But as Jesus lived his life and he lived this life to the fullest and he lived his life in purpose, it gave them something to look up to. Jesus is still in the prophecy-fulfilling business. He has given us something to look forward to. But he is also still very much in the purpose-driven life business, and he's given us something to look up to. I don't know about you, but as they begin to praise, they are praising with adulation. They are praising in anticipation. They are praising in expectation they are praising God because they understand that we are witnessing the person that we have been looking for but we also appreciative and we are looking up to the person who is here to live out purpose on our behalf so every single time we have the opportunity to give God praise it says that we have the ability to look out and looking forward to something but we have the, the option of looking up to someone and something as well this world is not our home church. We are just a passing through. This world is not our home church. We are just a passing through. I, I, this world is not our home church. I'm, I'm trying to give us some space to, to, to let this sink into your soul. This world is not our home. We, we are just a passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. These people begin to praise God because they recognize Jesus has come. They begin to praise God because they understood, they understood what this moment represented. I don't know exactly who might have been in the crowd but maybe Lazarus would have been in that crowd Jesus would have raised Lazarus from the dead maybe uh, Jairus's daughter was in the crowd maybe the, some of the people that Jesus touched and healed was in the crowd the point is you can't come into contact with Jesus and stay silent but here comes the praise police and I need to be done here comes the praise police because I'll tell you what, praise is something that will make people feel uncomfortable at times. Oh, take your time on this one, Brother Morgan. When you start shouting Hosanna, when you start screaming to the top of your lungs, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest. When you start saying things like praise God and, and hallelujah, when, when you start to lift your hands in the air, I'm telling you that praise makes people feel uncomfortable at times. But let me show you how praise works. And I, I need to say this. I need to say this because there is a thinking that praise is silent. I need for us to understand that praise is never silent. Praise is always Anybody here loves baseball? Anybody here loves baseball? When your, when your favorite player 
hits that ball out of the park. And I hope nobody here does this, but you know, I, I know how it goes sometimes, and you put a $20 on him hitting a home run. <laughs> and that, that hit, that home run leads your favorite team now to, to win the championship. Don't you jump up in adulation? All right, we don't like, we don't have, we don't like baseball. Any, anybody here likes basketball? I, I don't know if you follow all of this talk about who is the greatest of all time, the GOAT and so forth and so forth. I don't want to start a debate here, but you know, there are those who hold to the fact that LeBron James is the greatest of all time. I, I just don't hold to that. I love, I love LeBron James, but I'm, I'm a Michael Jordan fan. Amen to that, right? I'm a, I'm a, when you talk about the greatest of all time, the GOAT, that's Michael Jordan for me. And I, I remember watching all of, I was young, but I remember staying up late at night to watch all of, of Michaels and the Chicago Bulls, and, and every single time they, they won a championship, I was there as young as I was, and I was there with my uncle, it was just him and I, and because of the, the time difference and stuff, we would be up. I'm, I'm a young kid, I have school the next day, but I'll be up until about 11 p.m. at night, and every time the Chicago Bulls won, won their championship, we, we, we would jump, and, and we, would, we would spray... <laughs> Well, not champagne, but, but, but I, would, I would have my little chubby, that's, that's soft drink, by the way, that's non-alcoholic uh, soda pop. I, I, I would have my, my, my non-alcoholic soda pop, and, and I would jump, you would swear, uh, as if I was the sixth man on this team, and I would jump and we would hug. Because our favorite team with our favorite players won the championship. Anybody here loves football? Well, at least what do you guys call football? And NFL, and any, any Rams fans here today, we, we, we may not have, if, be careful if you raise your hands, Rams fans. We're, we're, we're a bunch of Titan fans across here, but Titans didn't do us too well this year. But, but, but nonetheless, when, when your favorite team wins that Super Bowl, you run up and down the streets and you run up and down the halls. You, you understand what it means to celebrate and we celebrate with things like that. Uh, you, you come home and you, you, you get your scholarship or, 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 or somebody says, I do. You, we understand that there are things in this life that we rejoice about. How is it we could rejoice and we could joy? How is it we could find our voices. How is it we, we, could, we could hop and we could skip and we could bounce? How is it we could become animated for, for a game that brings enjoyment to us? I'm not saying no, but how is it we don't do the same thing when it comes to the thought about what God has done for us? I don't know about you, but I don't want any stone to, to have to sing the praises of God in my place. This is the interesting thing about this statement. Jesus, as, as he is going through this, this, this procession with his disciples, here comes the praise police. And the praise police turns to Jesus and says, Teacher, you, you rebuke these individuals. Make them to shut up. Jesus looks to them. He says, guys, I, I'm glad that you, you thought I had something to do with this. I, I'm glad that you thought maybe I orchestrated this and I, I had placards telling people when to shout. I, I didn't have placards telling people when to shout. This praise party that you're seeing right here is because they understood and they understand what I've done for them. 
they, they, they understand what's at stake. So, so I didn't come here and organize and pay people off. You know how that goes in, in political arenas? Sometimes you pay people, well, you know, at certain times you need to shout. And if you shout, you'll get everybody else around you to shout. You, you guys don't know what I'm talking about? Also, you, you, you thought that, that every single crowd and every t single big gathering like that, every time you see people screaming and shouting at particular points, it was, it was a natural thing in, in, some, in all cases. No, no, no. I'll have you to know sometimes even in churches, you, you, you go to an environment sometimes and, and, and praise team have, have meetings. Let me let me let me let the cat out the bag. The praise team sometimes have meetings and they say, well, okay, we will we will put you in the quiet section over here. And when the preacher starts to go on his run, I need for you to get up and I need for you to start clapping. And I need for you to start saying some hallelujahs and you will start the praise party. That's not what Jesus would have done. These people started to praise Jesus, not because he prompted it. And I need for you to understand and appreciate. I'm not trying to prompt anybody to praise God. When, when we come to church and we, when we come to worship, we come with the hallelujahs in our hearts and on our lips, James. The preacher doesn't have to preach right for you to say amen. The songs doesn't always have to hit right the way that you want it to hit for you to say hallelujah, praise God. We come already understanding and appreciating what Jesus would have done for us. So hear me and hear me well. When Jesus makes this statement, and I need to be done, when Jesus makes this statement, if, if these living stones were to shut their mouths, these dead stones would continue the praise party. I need for you to see this. Jesus looks to these, these praise police. Jesus looks to these Pharisees, these people who were uncomfortable with the disciples acting like they were acting. Well, how were they acting? You might say, Brother Morgan, these people took their clothes. And when Jesus started making his way down into the streets, they would have taken their clothes and laid it on the ground. They started to cut down palm branches. If the clothes wasn't enough, they started to cut down palm branches and they started to lay it down in a pathway because Jesus would have possibly passed there. I need for you to see this. This clothes in the Jewish culture represented respect. Your clothes in the Jewish culture represented status. Your clothes in the Jewish culture represented some type of dignity. As small as it might be, your clothes says something about you. So they take their clothes off. You guys with me? They take their clothes off. And they put it down on the dirty floor. This is not carpet. This is not tile. This isn't well cleaned marble. This is a dirt road. If you could even call it a road. They take their clothes off. Everything that they've acquired for themselves in this life. That's what this jacket represents. My education is represented here in this coat. My reputation is represented here in this coat. My life is represented here in this coat. And they take their clothes and they lay it on the floor. Not for Jesus to walk on, because Jesus wasn't going to walk on those clothes. Check this. It was a cult. Jesus wasn't even going to be the one to walk over the clothes. Don't miss that point. It was an animal. 
It's not as if Jesus' foot would touch the, the cloak and offer some type of healing. But it's a, it was a true reflection that we surrender all to you, Jesus. You, you, the cloak represents the person that took the cloak off. Can I show you this? Is, is, is this too much? The, the cloak represented the person who had the cloak on. Can I show you this? So when the cloak was laid on the ground to be trampled on by the colt, it was as good as if the person was laying themselves down, prostrated out all the way in order so that the master could walk upon. Let me help you with this. Let me help you with this because we need to be done. Let me help you with this. Praise isn't pretty. There are times, I, I know sometimes we, we, we put the makeup on and we, we, we love to look good. I, I know there are times when we, 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 we don't want the mascara to run, but, but if we are honest with ourselves, there are times when we praise God and it's not pretty. When Peter was drowning, when Christ called him out on the sea, you remember this? Peter come and he starts walking on the water. You remember this? The scripture says he starts to look around and he starts to look now and he sees the waves and the winds and they were all contrary. He took his eyes off of Jesus for a time and he begins to sink. And as he begins to sink, the very next thing, he cries out. He says, Lord, save me. That's his Hosanna. He recognizes the one who could save. He is sinking. He is neck deep in the water and among the swells. And he cries out, Lord, help me. That's his Hosanna. If you didn't recognize that, I need for us to appreciate that there are sometimes when we are going through things in life, people try to push us away and people try to, to, to tell us how not to do worship. And you remember, you remember, you remember that in this instance, these scribes and these Pharisees, they are trying to get these people to shut up. And Jesus looks to them and he makes a statement. The, the idea is it's hyperbolic language, some people would say. And the idea with hyperbolic language is they call it an over-exaggeration. In other words, he really doesn't mean this. But it's, it's such a visual and vivid image that you could translate it or you could interpret it as if he's been dead on serious. Let me give you an example, a classic example of hyperbolic language. Jesus says, if your right hand offend, you do what? Then he says, if your right eye offend, you do what? So people will say, well, no, 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 that's figurative, that's hyperbolic language. But anybody here ever saw people with one hand and one leg because that hand and leg was so infected that if it wasn't cut off, it would have spread to the rest of the body. Don't tell me that it was just hyperbolic language. He's trying to help them to understand that you must be willing to sacrifice the members of your physical body if that's what's going to keep you from going into heaven's gate. If this hand is going to cause you to sin so much, then you need to have the strength and the courage to cut it off. Well, Brother Morgan, that sounds really brutal, but that's the whole point about hyperbolic language. If this eye offends you so much that it obscures your spiritual vision, you need to be able to close it, even if it means pulling it out yourself. 
You say, but I'm that song's really coarse. Well, that's the whole point about hyperbolic language. So Jesus uses this type of language as he says, if these living stones were to close their mouths, the only response would be that these dead ones would start singing my praises. If the people of God can't recognize the goodness of God, if, if they don't recognize that God was the one that woke them up this morning, hallelujah. If they don't recognize that God was the one that, that, that lifted them up and, and turned them around and, and placed their feet on solid ground, praise God. If they aren't the ones to, to voice my praises, if they shut their mouths. Church, did God wake you up this morning? Did God put food on your table? Did God, come on now, did God clothe you? Are you clothed here in your right mind today? That's subjective, but are you clothed in your right minds? Are your loved ones for the most part under your roof, are they safe? Do you still have the means to take care of yourself? I'm just saying, we're supposed to be shouting and screaming, yes sir! Because he says if the living stones, JDK, I'm done, you're up bro. If he said the living stones, if the living stones go silent, then the inanimate objects of creation, they bear witness and they bear record. I, I, could, I could preach some more, but I don't think it's going to help. And, and by that, what I mean is sometimes going a little longer aggravates the soul. But I need for us to appreciate where I'm coming from. If God's been good to you, you could say amen to that. If God's given you life, you could stand up for that. If God has blessed you, I know it's hard. Now, here's the thing about praise, church. Praise, the, 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 praise does not mean, let me put it this way, the absence of pain. In other words, you could praise God in your sorrowful times. You could praise God in your painful moments. You had a divorce. I don't know how hard it is. I've only seen it through my mother and my father. I could tell you from the experience of a child, I know how hard it is from this perspective. I cannot tell you how hard it is from the standpoint of a spouse. But I know it's hard. Your husband or your wife may have run out on you, but God didn't. I've never seen somebody have trouble on their job and then come home, pack their bags and say to their spouse or say to their family, I'm going to leave you because I had trouble on the job. But yet still sometimes you do the exact same thing with God. The, the, the world casts its care on us and all of a sudden we come into the church house, we pack our bags, we pack up our prayers and we stay silent. It doesn't matter what the world does to us, God still loves us. It doesn't matter what the world says about us. God still cares. You guys with me, I know life could be hard, but don't ever let some inanimate object speak more and volumes and testify more than the living stones that we are. So church, I'm done. I told you, David, get up about three minutes ago and he's not here yet. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done, bro. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Let's all stand. I'm done. So stand. 
If God's been good to you, say amen. amen. If God's been great to you, scream amen. amen. If God's been a great God to you, say hallelujah. hallelujah. Say Hosanna. If God's been good to you, scream something tonight. Amen. amen, amen. If God's been good to you, let him know. Shout Hosanna. Shout hallelujah. Shout praise God. He's been too good to stay silent. I want the church to wake up. Let everything have breath. Let everything have breath. Let everything have breath. Let everything have breath. Let everything that has breath. Let everything that has breath. Praise ye. Praise ye. Praise ye the Lord. I know what we have up on the screen. I know what we have up on the screen. That's all the song that's in my heart right now. I heard an old, old story. Our Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Some sweet day I'll sing a dead song of victory. this song. I'm going to sing it anyway. Let me just do it. Thank you Yeah. 
thank you, we thank you, we thank you. We thank you. For the life that we have in our bodies, we thank you. For the health that we enjoy, Father, we thank you. We thank you for our families being, being here present next to us. We thank you. We thank you for the provision that you have made in our lives. We thank you. We thank you that you loved us so much that when we were buried and laden in sin, living according to the ways of this world, you sent your son so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. Father, we thank you. We thank you because we know as we study your word and as we recognize the lives that we were leading and living, God, we were destined for a place that was really created for the devil and his angels. But because, again, of your grace and your mercy, Father, you pulled us out of the fiery clutches of hell, and you have given us a hope that is a place called heaven. Father, we thank you because as we look in social media, as we look at the news, there are just places and people that can't come together like this to worship you freely. And yet still, we have this ability and we have this potential. May we never take our ability to worship you like this for granted. So God, we thank you. We thank you for the means to earn an income and to take care of our physical needs. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we are called your sons and your daughters. We may not feel worthy at times, but thank be to God for your goodness and for your grace, for your mercy and your love, that in spite of our weakness, God, you still loved us. So, Father, with one voice, we just want to say thank you. 
Father, with one voice, we just want to say praise your holy name. Father, with everything that is within us, our mind, our bodies, our soul, our energy, everything that we have, Father, we lay it before your feet, God, and we submit ourselves and everything that you have placed into our hands into yours. God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for you being a great God and for blessing us to be your people. So God, as we take into view the events of the life of Jesus, as we recognize a day that everyone associates as being Palm Sunday, Father, we know that because of the things that he would have done in his life, God, it brings us the victory. For most of us, until Christ decides to put in his appearance, Father, we will make our destiny with the grave first. But the grave will not be the last place for us, God. And so we thank you right now in advance. Things may not be going the way that we would like it all the time, but we thank you in advance for our future, our hope, which is heaven, God. We have a life beyond this grave. So, God, we thank you. May our hallelujahs never leave our hearts and never leave our lips, God. May our praise always be there, not just in this moment, in this season that people equate as Easter. Every single Sunday, God, is Palm Sunday for us. Every single Sunday is Resurrection Sunday for us. Every single Sunday is a reflection of the time that we have to come together and to sing our praises, and to offer our sacrifices to you. So God, may our Sundays, may our Palm Sundays, may our Resurrection Sundays be a true reflection. This is no gimmick, God. May it be a true reflection of the lives that we have prostrated before you. So God, we pray that you be with every single person here under the sound of my voice, whether in this place or online. Father, I just pray that you bless us to be so courageous in our praise, God, that we would learn to express on the outside what we feel on the inside. God, praise was never cultural, but yet still we have resolved praise to this construction of culture. Praise was never cultural, God, but it all came from the compassion and the awareness of who we are in respect to who you are. So God, we praise you. Church, say thank you. God, we honor you. Church, say thank you. God, we magnify you. Church, say thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy.